0: Let's just talk to God again. God, we thank you so much for the chance we have to sing out the core of who we are. As we say to you, you are our living hope. There is no other hope. You are the one. We declare that to you today. We thank you so much that Jesus came and that he was resurrected and that everyone in this room can experience him and experience life. So I pray for us now that you would be our teacher I pray that you would speak to us. I pray for everyone in the room who is open, that they would hear from you. I pray for everyone who has barriers or they have some kind of obstacle between you and them, even you and the church or even you and me right now. I pray that you would speak through that, God, and that you would show us your heart. You would show us your love. We love you and we thank you so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. I'm so grateful that you're here today and that you came to celebrate your spend time with us for Easter. And this means a lot that you do that. Uh, I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are watching online. We have a, a bunch of folks who watch us online uh, each week, but also follow us in at other times. I want to welcome those that would be watching us from Wayne, da- Wayne Brown Correctional Center And thank you so much for being here, and also those who will be watching Excaton later as we take our services into those places as well. But I just want to say this, um, that uh, there's no better way to watch our service than to be live, right? I mean, it's just something about being here that does something in our souls and our spirits, and so we're so grateful that you're here. And I'll just say this, there's no better day to be in church, no better day to be in church. Because... Honestly, this is what it's all about. We're going to talk about that more in just a few moments. It's so critical, and I love that you're all here. I really do. I don't take that for granted. I know that there are those of you who are here today, and you wouldn't think of missing an Easter service. That for you, Easter is the core of who you are. It's the core of your heart, and so every time Easter, you're here, and so you'd want to be here. And so I just have been praying for you today that there would be an opportunity for you to hear from God. But I also know that there are those here today, and you're here because you were promised brunch, okay? So I get that. I know how that is sometimes. And so uh, I just want to thank you for being here and your willingness to listen and to be here and to participate. And it's my prayer that every one of us, wherever we are in our understanding of Jesus, that we would hear from him today. He's speaking. And I believe he wants to speak to every one of us today in the time that we have Together, So as you can imagine, I'm going to talk about the resurrection today, right, on Easter Sunday. So that's what we're going to talk about. And so this is the last week in the series that we've been in called Ask where we started this at Christmas time, actually, where we said if you could ask one question of God and you thought he would answer, what would it be? And I asked you to text me and to write me and email me the questions you would have, and so you did, and we've had this series that we've been in. And so if you have some questions for God and you're wondering if maybe we asked your question, just go out online, you can look at our previous messages, and you might find one where we did answer the question you might have. But also, I just think you might want to watch some of those to hear how God does respond so our questions. And the last one is, what difference does the resurrection make? So first of all, I was going to ask if you grab these message notes. You got them when you came in the door. They're in your program. They'll be helpful today. I have all the Bible verses I'll use here. There are also some notes you want to fill in. I'm going to make some references, and actually this will be a tool for you that you can take home and take with you after we're finished today. You have your Bible, open it to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, that's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you have Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And so you'd want to look at this and have it open there as well. And that's what I just want say, if you don't own a Bible, our church wants to give you one. So if you'll stop, there's some bookshelves right out there. You can make your way after the service. You just take a Bible, two Bibles, 10 Bibles, whatever you want. And we want to give you a Bible because we want every home in Nevada County to have a this in their home so that you can resource it and you can hear God speak yourself if you do that. So one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament was a man by the name of Paul. Uh, he was a Jewish rabbi in the first century, uh, brilliant mind. He was uh, in the elite of the religious system and the educational system of his day. So he was you know, in advanced placement. And so he was given special consideration, even so much so that he was actually trained by another rabbi named Gamaliel. And so it was a huge deal in your family if your son could be chosen to study under Gamaliel because you know that you were an up-and-comer and that you were going to be able to make a huge difference in the Jewish faith of that day. So he was educated in the Old Testament system and laws. And more than likely, it meant that he had memorized most of the Old Testament and so we talk about it in just a minute that's going to have a reference as we go through some of the Bible verses we're going to read today. So originally, Paul, as he grew up, and as Jesus, was died, had been crucified and raised in a grave, and the church was blossoming, and that during that time. Originally, Paul was hostile to all things Jesus. Everything Jesus. But there was a moment when he had his own personal encounter with the risen Jesus. So if you read the Bible, you know that he was on the way to Damascus. He was someone who was persecuting Christians and leading them to their death, and he, Jesus appeared to him on the road, and in that moment, he saw the resurrected Jesus, and that forever changed the trajectory of his life, and it changed his life forever, his purpose, and because of that encounter, it's literally changed the lives of millions and millions and millions of people because of what happened with him. So, after this encounter with Jesus, using all of the brain power, all the education that he had received in his day, and I'll add this under the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit, his knowledge, God's guidance through the Holy Spirit, he applied himself to the task of working out the gospel message. Of Jesus Christ. That included Jesus' teachings. It included his death. It included his burial. It included his resurrection. And then how did that apply to life as someone who was going to be a follower of Jesus? And so he wrote letters. And in those letters, he communicated to churches, here's what it means. Here's what it means to know Jesus. Here's how to follow him. He wrote letters of instruction, letters of in- uh, correction, in order to help them to know what God would have to say. And so... Um, he devotes one of his letters, 1 Corinthians 15. He wrote to a church in Corinth. And so it's chapter 15 in our Bibles, and he divided an entire chapter to talking about the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the implications to us in life. And that's what we want to look at today is 1 Corinthians 15. So right at the top, I put a verse that's kind of halfway through, oh, less, less than halfway, a third of the way through uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is verse 14. It's kind of the key, one of the key verses. It says this. After he's talked about the resurrection and he's talked about the implications, he says, oh, by the way, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. So Paul is saying this. Here's what he's saying. After he talks about the power, he talks about the story, he talks about what has happened, he says, here's the deal. Here, it's so important. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it's game over. It's game over. For all things, Christian." We might as well pack up our bags and go home. We would have nothing to stand on. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we would not be here today. We would not be here today. But but if he has been raised from the dead, well, then it's game on because that changes everything. So what I want to do is I want to focus on some facts about the resurrection today, some facts that we can trust some realities that we can know, some reasons why we'd want to believe, so that, as I said there, we can have absolute confidence, extraordinary confidence that the resurrection actually happens. So let's begin with verse 3. Paul is writing this letter about what happened to Jesus about the gospel, and he says, I passed on to you what was most important. You have your notes underlined most important critical for us to know, to remember. He says, of all the things I could say, this is most important, and what had also been passed on to me. And he says, Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. So he, as I said, he was a student of the Old Testament, and so he was able to know in the Old Testament what it says about the coming Messiah, and he said, this is what it says will happen to the Messiah. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, once again, just as the Scripture said. So he saying the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures say and validate what's actually happened in the life of Jesus Christ. And then now what I want you to do is help me as we're going through this next section. I want you to underline, circle, highlight, whatever helps you, every name or group of people, because later on it's going to come back and have meaning as we talk about it. So... He was seen, the resurrected Jesus was seen by Peter. So first of all, he talks about Peter, the disciple, the apostle, the one who had failed, the one who had rejected Jesus. And he lists him here, and I think it's just awesome. The Bible continually brings Peter's name up in a way that says, or Peter was thinking that he might be discarded because he'd failed Jesus. He's actually being included. Jesus shows him his love. Seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500. Now, I read some scholars this week that say it's somewhere around 515 people. 515 people, eyewitnesses, saw the resurrected Christ of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Now, why is this important? Because they're still alive. That means that as Paul's writing down the names and the groups of people here, he's saying, hey, here it is. You can go talk to this person. You can go ask them, did they see the resurrected Christ? You can go and you can corroborate the story and you can know for real. So he's actually saying, "Here's he's given some evidence of that. And he says, "Though no, some have died. The, then he was seen by James. And so James here is the younger brother of Jesus. And so as we learn from what the Bible teaches is that James, the younger brother of Jesus, while Jesus was alive, rejected Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly why he rejected Jesus. It could be sibling rivalry. You know, How would it be if your older brother said he was the son of God? How would you feel? You know, That kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> It could be some of that that was going on at that point. But basically, what happened to James, though, is after he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, he did a 180-degree turn, and he pursued all things resurrection from that day forward, so much so that he has a book in the Bible, in the New Testament, written by him. And not only that, he was martyred, he was killed because of his belief in Jesus. James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So Paul's saying, I'm the last and final witness here. And then he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins, which is so important we're going to talk about. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest for all who have died. So what I want to do is I'm going to take three. I had a slew to choose from, but I narrowed it down to three. I'm going to take three reasons of why you can believe in the resurrection. Three reasons that come from Scripture of why you can believe in the resurrection. I want to help us today. And what I hope this will do, I hope those of you are here and you come, and maybe you're in the crowd that's saying, I'm getting brunch out of this, and that's why I'm here. And And maybe you're skeptical or you have doubts in some way. What I want to do is I want to say today is I'm not asking you today to take a leap of faith. I'm asking you to take a step of faith. And in a step of faith, that means that what we're talking about sounds reasonable and you'd be willing to step forward and pursue knowing more. But I'm going to give you three reasons why you'd want to take a step of faith. The first is this, it was the empty tomb. It was the empty tomb. So after Jesus rose from the dead, the empty tomb was clearly physical evidence that Jesus had been raised from the dead. The empty tomb could have either been disproved or it could have been corroborated by just walking down the street and looking inside. i was going to give you a little bit of picture here to just kind of help us out. So Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified, right outside of Jerusalem, it says. So he was crucified on a hill. And so this would be a hill that everyone's familiar with in their day. This would be a hill where everybody could walk to and they could see. So it was, it was like in their local setting, they could go to the place where Jesus was killed. Jesus was then buried in a garden tomb inside Jerusalem. So the tomb is also someplace it was like they would frequent by and that they would know it existed. It was part of their everyday reality. They could go to the place where Jesus was killed. They could go to the place where Jesus was buried. They saw Jesus died. They look in the tomb. It's empty. Jesus is not there. They saw the empty tomb tomb. So it was just evidence that Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. And so I was just thinking about this. I was thinking, okay, what'd they see when they looked in the empty tomb? What'd they see? And so I was just kind of thinking about that. And I said, well, first of all, they saw, we know from scripture that they saw burial clothes. So we saw the burial cloths that had been put over Jesus uh, and that had been there to cover him up. So they saw that, and I'm thinking, well, what else would be there? And I'm thinking, well, okay, it's in a, I've been to Jerusalem, and I've been in the garden tomb there, and I know, you know I've been inside, and, and there's nobody there, and I've been inside there. And what's there? And I said, well, there's, garden, there's the, the, the cloths, but then there's dust, okay, because it's just a dirty place. So there's dust inside of there. So I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about, okay, well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible talks about dust and the importance of uh, us understanding that. In Genesis three fourteen, it says this. It says, you will return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and dust you will return. So that reminded me of a story, a story I'd heard about a little boy who comes, he'd been in his bedroom, and mother's, mother's wondering what he's doing in the bedroom, why is he back there so long? He comes out and he says to his mother, mom, is it true that from dust we are made, and from dust we will return. And so she's like, well, what's going on here? I'm not sure what's going on. She says, oh, yes, why do you ask? And he says this, well, I was just looking under my bed. And someone is either coming or going. That's all I know. It's a dusty place. So then that reminded me of something else. Uh, my wife has an aversion to dusting. So it's just something about her background. I don't know if she was traumatized by dusting when she was a little girl or something like that. And so I was thinking about this recently when I ran across this and I sent it to her. She says, you come from dust, you will return to dust. That's why I don't dust. It could be someone I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So if you're ever needing some a reason... Men and women, by you don't dust, it just might be someone you know, so you're not going to do it. Okay, the first is the empty tomb. Second is this. We can have absolute confidence in the resurrection of Jesus because of the eyewitness accounts. The eyewitness accounts. That's why I had you underline and highlight all of the eyewitnesses that are listed in 1 Corinthians 15. I just encourage you, not just in 1 Corinthians 15, but you read all the gospel accounts of the resurrection. Especially in Mark, you're going to you see a bunch of other people that are listed there. All who could corroborate the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, this is so important. Okay? This is important. Because when Jesus died, you got to know that there are men and women who had chosen to be his followers... So they'd given up, many of them, everything to follow him and ridicule and uh, their families and friends. And uh, So when Jesus goes to the cross, nobody expected Jesus to go to the cross and die. And so when he did, it crushed them. So up until now, they'd been Jesus' follower. And now they became their, his unfollowers. They unfriended Jesus, basically. They moved away from him. They didn't want to be with him. Or be associated with him. They were fearful that if they were associated with Jesus Christ, that it would mean their own personal death or losing everything in their lives. They saw Jesus die. They said, I don't know if you can get the gravity of this. Just like you know, the cross, the tomb. I don't know if we get the gravity. We just read words on pages sometimes. They saw Jesus die. You know, even though Jesus had said to them, I will die. For your sins, and on the third day I will be raised again. No one believed it. If they would have, they would have been waiting outside the tomb on the third day, you know, like a countdown clock 10, 9, 8, 1, yeah, Jesus comes, I'm here. But nobody expected that. Nobody was there. And here's why they were surprised. I shared this, you know, this thought last year, I'll just bring it back again this year. Nobody expected nobody, nobody did. They expected to find a body when they went to the empty tomb. And when they looked in that tomb that resurrected morning, they did, definitely didn't find it, expect it to be empty. No one expected Jesus to conquer death. They responded to this news, just like many of you might have responded to this news. They would have thought, it's impossible. It's impossible for anyone to come back to life. It's unbelievable. It can't happen. But folks, it did happen. 515 people saw him they wrote about it. They were witnesses. And they could corroborate this. And because they could, basically the Bible says over six weeks, Jesus appeared to all of them, about 515 overall. This is what Cambridge scholar and author Richard Bachman writes about how important these eyewitnesses are. He says this, the repeated listing of the eyewitnesses by name throughout the New Testament documents are source citations For the reliability of the account being described. He's saying they're footnotes in a document that you can go and you can find this is where he got, they got the story. So the disciples believed when they saw the resurrected Jesus and they believed that the resurrection then changes everything and that inspired them. And so that's reason number three. What happens? The emergence of the church. The expansion of the early church, the exploding into existence of the early church. And I'll just say it this way. Without the resurrection, there would be no church. It was the catalyst. It was the energy. It was the momentum. It was the inspiration for the church. So as they became convinced themselves that Jesus had been raised from the dead, they turned to their friends. They turned to their culture. And they started telling others about him. And the song, So Will I, that we sang a moment ago, it said at the end of the song, that we will tell others about the wonderful love of God. So what happens is, once again, let's just just take uh, black and white off a page, and let's talk about what does it mean. So think about this. So we got a cross right outside of town. We've got a garden tomb. and, And we also have still the same people who killed Jesus on the cross those same people still live in Jerusalem, and they were leaders of the day. They were spokespeople. And so people would look to them for knowledge and inspiration. And so now the disciples, who were living in fear, the Bible says, in the upper room until they had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, this emboldens them. And now they go out into the public. They go out into the public square, and you can read about this in Acts. Peter delivers a sermon, delivers a message, and he says something like this. Hey, he's talking to the people who killed Jesus right there. They're right in front of him. Jesus, the one you killed, the author of life, the one you put on the cross, the cross right over there, that Jesus, you put him on a cross. That's exactly what happened. And then a few days later, a few days later, after you buried him, right over there, right in this tomb. So we're looking, we're close. We, he's accusing them of things they could see, they could touch, they could feel in that day. You can check it out. He said, he is risen from the dead. And the Bible tells us in Acts, 3,000 people said yes to Jesus that day. 3,000 people were motivated inspired because of the testimony of the eyewitnesses that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. And now the church is going strong in our day. Don't listen to anyone who says the church is not decline today. The church is exploding today. The church is in expansion today, even in our day, because of the power of the resurrection and the witnesses thereof. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, as a historian, I cannot explain the rise of Christianity unless Jesus rose again, leaving an empty tomb. Folks, there's no other way to explain this. Jesus dies. Jesus goes in a tomb. There's no church. Followers are in hiding. They see Jesus, and the church explodes from nothing, zero, into something, into everything. That's what happens because of the eyewitness encounters with the cross. It was the fact of the resurrection that inspired them. There's no other way to explain it. So those are three reasons why I believe you can absolutely trust in the truthfulness of the resurrection account. So now, let's just talk for a minute about what does that mean. Emily read a verse to you earlier that talks about what Jesus came to do for us when he died on the cross. I want to read that again. It's at the bottom of your notes there. First Peter 3 says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. Now, here's the reason why he came. You want to underline this. To bring you safely home to God. To bring you into relationship with a heavenly Father. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. To bring you into God's family. He, therefore, went to a cross and suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. See, Jesus knew the only way to fix our broken world, the only way to fix our broken souls was for him to go to the cross and die for us. And then his resurrection substantiated every claim that he made about what would happen in our lives because of the resurrection. So now, turn your notes over on the backside, and I'm just going to say, okay, now's the so what? Now's the so what? There's what happened. How does this impact me? in our life today. It's wonderful that it impacted those early Christians and the church exploded and expanded. But how does it affect me? i want to give you three ideas because I think they're so important. I just narrowed it down to three. First is this. The resurrection of Jesus sets me free from guilt and shame. It sets me free from guilt and shame. So the cross and the resurrection are part of God's plan to end... And to fix our to fix our broken lives and our broken world. Both. So you think about what people feel today. Uh, one of the things I you know I do a lot of readings, just one of my curses, and I love information, love all that study stuff, and, lo- and like what's going on in the culture and how can we speak into that. <clears throat> one of the things I keep reading about, especially right now for the, the, like the young adult generation, and those right behind it would be you know, high school and college age, is that there's this tremendous amount of shame that's felt. Shame is a buzzword and feel, that feels so much pain, uh, shame, and then that leads to depression and other experiences that young people are going through. Guilt and shame. So what happens when we feel guilty? What happens when we feel shame? What most of us do when we feel guilt or shame is we hide. We put on masks, we go behind them. Because here's what we're, we're afraid, <clears throat> that if anyone could really see what's on the inside, if anyone could really see what's down deep, that we'd be rejected. And so what we do, we hide from God, we hide from ourselves, and we hide from others. And we go through life in hiding, but we still have the core core, Shame and guilt, guilt and shame, corrosively eating our souls, corrosively eating our souls. See, on one hand, we all want to be known. We all want to be known. I was talking to Dennis, who's our uh, student ministry pastor, and he was telling me how uh, his generation and younger, that one of the things that you can tell about them and that comes out from surveys and from experiences and talking to them is how they want to to be known. They identify one of their top felt needs is give me a place where I can be known, a place where I can be loved. But what's so crazy about this is that we're afraid that if someone knows us and they sees us, see us, that they will actually reject us. We really want a place where we can be known and we can be loved, but we're so afraid of experiencing the rejection that we might feel or the rejection we have felt when we even tried to take down that mask a little bit in the past, that we're fearful and we live in front behind masks and we're not Real. So out of that, all that praying and all ideas came for the idea for a new series. So next week we're gonna start a new series. The title of it is Be Known and Be Loved. Be known and be loved. One, we all want to take down our mass. Now just you can breathe, okay? I'm not going to ask you to take your mask down the first week, okay? So we're not going to overexpose ourselves, so just so you know that. But what we want to do is we want to say, we want to build a safe church at Twin Cities where it's okay for people to take off their masks, It's okay for them to pull them down. It's okay for people to see that we're broken. It's okay for people to see that we have needs. It's okay for people to see that we don't have it together so that we can be known, so that we can be loved, and we can be in a loving relationship. That's what we want. And we're going to learn more about how to do that in this series. We're going to learn how to treat each other when we expose ourselves. We're going to learn how to be able to uh, love and what does it mean to, to know others. That's what we're going to be looking at in that series. We all want that. And God promises that's possible for us. We can be known and loved by him. In other words, we can have our guilt and shame removed. And that's what it says in Colossians 2. Once again, Paul writes, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. And notice this it says this For he gave, forgave all our sins. Would you underline that? He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. So we're all guilty. We're all guilty. We've all sinned. Every one of us has sinned. We're all sinners. And so what the Bible teaches here is that we don't have to live in that condition. We don't have to live with guilt. But So he sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for us so that the penalty for what I'd done wrong, the penalty for my sins, was taken from me and it was put on Jesus. So he deserved, he got what I deserved, and then I get what he deserved, which is righteousness. And so that's what he did on the cross, and that's what Paul is saying there. And so the whole idea is this. Our lives are better when we say yes to him, and we have this guilt, and we have this shame that can be removed. It's a gift of grace, walking in the rhythms of God's grace as we do that with him. And then what happens is, as we said earlier, we get invited into a family. And Paul writes this in Ephesians 1. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And would you underline this? And it gave him great pleasure. It gave him great pleasure. When God looks at you, what does he think? How about this? What do you think he thinks? What do you think he thinks? See, most of us we have messages in our heads, either from authority figures in the past, or from you know experiences with our peers, uh, or through um, parents or other uh, you know the media and all the pressure from the media and advertising. We have we have all these messages that we are not measuring up, that we are not valuable. But what the Bible tells us that right here is, He says. It gives God... You give God pleasure. You give God pleasure. In fact, it says about Jesus in Hebrews 12, it says that for the joy that was... before. What was the joy before him? It was you. The joy that was before him, he went to the cross. So what we want to accept here is in his family, he wants you in his family. It's not like he's, oh gosh, i gotta got to take you into my family, don't I? No, he wants you in his family. He wants you to be in relationship with him. So that's the first thing that we can say the resurrection does in our lives. The second is this. The resurrection of Jesus sets me free to live with power to be transformed, to have a transformed life. It gives me the power to change. The resurrection from the dead is the absolute assurance that God has the power to do just about anything he wants, right? He created the world. He created everything in it. And he has the power to change our lives. Look what Paul says in Romans 8. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Would you underline that? Lives in you? And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit. And once again, living within you. Living within you. So a little theology is that we're all born sinners. We're all born broken. That Jesus sent, God sent Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. When we say yes to that offer... It says that we're forgiven, and we come into relationship with him, and we are then in his family. Now that we're in his family, God has a plan for us, and the plan for us is that we would become like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you've studied Jesus very much, you realize most of us have a long ways to go to become like Jesus Christ. So that's the idea. We're going to become like Jesus Christ. I can't do that on my own. I cannot do that. I've been down the religious road. I've been down the try-harder road. I've been down the self-help road. And I get to the end and I think, something's wrong with me. God says, no. When you go with me, when you go with the Holy Spirit, I'm the one that's going to change you as we're in relationship together. He says, when you, came to, when you said yes to me, the Holy Spirit was planted in you. You have to believe this. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And this is what he says about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1. He says, also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Once again, we read words on paper. We don't see the power in these words often. He's in me, that same power. And so the resurrection is proof that God has power over all things. He has power over everything. And that same power is available to me for God's purpose to help me to become like Jesus. It's available for me. That power sustains me. That power enables me. That power regenerates me. That power changes me. It transforms me. And it's available for every one of us. Third benefit. Third reason we'd want to say yes to the resurrection, it sets me free to face the future with hope. It sets me free to face the future with hope. And folks, I'll just say this, I'm going to define hope. Hope is a life-changing certainty in something that has been promised but hasn't yet happened. And that's the promise of the resurrection for you and me. Certainty, we have the certainty And we believe in something that's been promised but hasn't yet happened. So one of the promises Jesus gave was in John 11. As he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he says this. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So that's the promise. And here's the promise there. Death does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. We have God's promise that we can be with him in eternity. In eternity. In eternity in heaven with him in the future. We have God's promise that he will will be with us not only in eternity, but he will be with us today. Not just in the future, but in today. We have God's promise that every wrong will be righted. We have God's promise that every sickness will be healed. God's promise that every grief will find joy. We have God's promise that every pain will find relief. We have God's promise that every addict will come clean. We have God's promise that every person who is separated by conflict or racism or judgment will be united. We have God's promise. And not only that, we have God's promise of a future. And the moment I take my last breath, I don't have to be afraid of death. The moment I take my last breath, I enter into a new reality. There's no fear of death. There's joy. There's joy that I can be in the presence of an almighty God. And this is why Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6. God will raise us from the dead. It's a guarantee by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. So we have God's power, a promise that death will be defeated. Death will no longer prevail. Death will no longer hold us. And we have his guarantee. So, the last verse in your notes, Paul ends 1 Corinthians 15 after all this, and he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what he says here is, he says, We have victory. Jesus conquered over sin and death. And death will not be the last word over your life, but we also have promise for today and what he wants to do now. One of the writers and speakers that I've been listening to, paying attention to, is a man by the name of Mark Sayers. Uh, Mark is a pastor in Australia, and he is known as a futurist. That's how I describe him. And he's speaking into our day. He's speaking into Christianity and what God is doing. And he's very popular with a whole set of churches that are along the West Coast and major metropolitan cities as they're talking about how do we as Christians live in what appears to be a post-Christian culture. And I'm gonna read a quote of his. He says this, Jesus' life on earth points us toward the future. His actions clearly show us how the story of creation will continue in the future. And then he describes it. I didn't want to put it on the screens. I want you to hear it. Jesus' healing of the disabled points us toward a time when humans will be healed physically and mentally. Jesus' deliverance of those possessed by demons points us to a future when evil will be expelled from our world. Jesus' feeding of those without food is a glimpse of future where there will be no more hunger, poverty, or starvation. By turning over the tables of the merchants, selling religious products in the temple, Jesus shows us that our future will be a time when our worship of God will not be compromised by corruption or greed. Jesus' honoring of women... Samaritans and children speaks of a time when no humans will be marginalized, and he ends with this. Above all, Jesus' resurrection speaks of a time when death and suffering will be defeated and the world will be resurrected. That's the promise we have in Christ. I'm going to ask again. The resurrection makes it possible for us to be set free from our guilt and shame. Will you receive that? The resurrection makes it possible for us to, have, to be empowered to become the person God wants us to be, will you receive his power? And the resurrection gives us hope as we trust in his promise that the grave will never win. He has power over the grave. And as we're going to hear and feel and see, ain't no grave going to hold us down. so much. I told you, you would hear it, see it, feel it, right? Ain't no grave can hold us down. It's the power of the resurrection. I'm going to ask you about you your heads. I want to pray for a moment. I'd like to lead you if you'd let me. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I'd like to start there. That's why he came, to bring you into God's family. All you have to do is say yes so compelling. Just say yes to him. You don't have to understand everything. Say, Jesus, as much as I do understand it, I say yes to you today. I believe that you went to the cross and you went for me. It was the Father's pleasure. And you gave yourself to pay for my sin, to set me free from guilt and shame. And I want to receive that today. I receive it. I want to follow you as a guilt-free, shame-free person for the rest of my life. I pray that you would encourage me at those times when the bully would come against me and condemn me because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we would be free from that. And God, I pray for all of us as we walk with you Your desires that we become like your son. Oh, what a tall order, God. It's impossible for us on our own. So we set aside our self-help. We set aside our religious effort. And today we come to you and say, by the Holy Spirit inside of me, I ask you, God, to guide me, lead me, and change me. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people of hope. We live in such a pessimistic age that we'd be people of hope in the future, the future that we have with you in heaven that's been guaranteed, that when we take our last breath, we enter into your presence, but also in the presence of your spirit now and what you want to do through your resurrection power in our lives and in this world to transform it. The church is not in decline. The church is in expansion, and I pray that you would help us be part of what you are doing. We thank you, God. Thank you for your tenderness toward us, your love. And we rest in that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.